Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah. And this is Anton, and we are your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes. This episode is number 45 of a 50-part series that we are doing where the episodes are based on a different crime in each state in the United States of America and are in alphabetical order. So today's case will be based on a crime from the state of Vermont. Can you believe we only have five episodes left? I know, that's so crazy to think. That's crazy. I just can't believe it. And I think technically we almost started it a year ago because we've skipped a couple weeks with episode drops. we've only skipped one, but it's coming up on a year though, yes. I know, it's crazy. Well, there's not a lot new with us or really anything for us to touch on. This episode is coming a week late. We've had a lot going on recently, but we'll be dropping another episode shortly after this one. So you will be getting two back to back in one week just to make up for that. I did remember another thing. We just started a new show on Netflix called The Trust. It's actually a very interesting human experiment game show. And if you haven't watched it, we highly recommend it. We really do love shows like this. The other one we just finished was both versions of Squid Games, both the TV show and then the challenge. And we're excited for season two that's going to be coming out as well. They're just like... There's just a lot of fun to watch, and Anton and I oftentimes get into, like, deep discussion about these game shows for no apparent reason. Oh, yeah, we find ourselves doing that all the time. Yeah, but they're great. All of them are. And really, I feel like at this point, we should probably be sponsors for Netflix, because these are all Netflix. Yes, all of these shows were on Netflix. Yeah. Or, no, they're all Netflix shows. Oh, yeah, Netflix series. Well, like I said, we clearly have nothing, um, but we do always have our shows that we like to start and go through. But now we will be jumping right into Anton's joke. With the holidays being over, we really get to see Anton's randomly shuffled dad jokes, which I absolutely love. So let's hear it. Did you hear about the truck transporting steaks that got into a wreck? Can you say it one more time? Yeah. Did you hear about the truck transporting steaks that got into a wreck? No. Some car T-boned it. <laughs> That's a funny... That's a good steak joke. It is, and we love steak as well, so yes. I figured oh it goodness. fit in perfectly. Speaking of other things that Anton and I are huge fans of, it is for sure the good old Texas Roadhouse. Yes, good old Texas Roadhouse. We certainly do love a nice ribeye, garden salad, honey mustard, of course. And loaded mashed potatoes. It's so funny. Anton and I are like an old married couple. And I feel like we can't admit that because we've been told it very many times. But we really get the same thing to eat everywhere we go. It's, yep, very true. Yeah. We don't have a lot of variation, but it's fine. We like it that way. Okay. Well, now with Anton's joke being done, today's case is actually one I'm actually really excited to review because it's one of many I hope we start to see in the future that are being resolved with the help from advancements of DNA testing. So the case I will be covering today was actually a 50-year-old cold case that was just solved within the last year due to the advancements of DNA testing. Wow, that is amazing to hear. Yeah, from 1971. So a little over 50 years. Because, wow, it's 2024, (laughs) which is just another crazy thing. But nonetheless, let's get right into the case I chose. So today's case began with Rita Coran, who was 24 years old at the time, like I said, in 1971. And she was living with her parents in Milton, Vermont. 
She was a school teacher and actually she was an elementary school teacher and made a very little wage. As we know, teachers are underpaid now, so I can only imagine in the 70s what their salary was. Probably in the five figures. It couldn't have been that high, yeah. Yeah. So she was in the market for new housing that included roommates. This would allow her independence and a lower rent that would be split evenly between her roommates, obviously. After looking at newspapers, because remember, this is the 70s. We don't have Zillow or Rentler or anything like that. So she found an apartment in a newspaper. And the apartment she looked at was located in Burlington, which was just north of Milton, where her parents were located. This apartment offered a low rate that was within her budget, and it would be split between two to three tenants. She called or applied to the apartment at the beginning of June, and by mid-June, she was moved in and now living with roommates. As a grade school teacher, she had the summers off, so instead of teaching, she would work at a local hotel in Burlington as what they would call a chambermaid. Anton, what is a chambermaid? Huh. I've heard of the term before, but I can't think of what it is. Nothing comes to mind when you hear chambermaid? No. For some reason, I can only think of like a gun chambering a bullet (laughs) right now, but... So literally, I just split the word. A chamber to me is a bedroom, and then a maid is somebody who cleans. So, like when I like was uh, so wondering, it's a fancy maid. It's a fancy housekeeper. Maid, a housekeeper. Because she was working at a hotel as a chambermaid, and so really, what this meant was she for us was a housekeeper, someone who cleaned the rooms and the bathrooms. But I like chambermaid better than housekeeper. I don't know it why we better. don't call that. Now, Anton, can you remember the times of roommates and living with others for the first time? Yeah, I would have been in college. Do you feel like your experiences were good having roommates? Yeah, my experiences were great having roommates. Yeah. For me, I feel like roommates are a lot of fun. You go from, you know, living with your parents or siblings or caretakers, and then you go to living with either strangers or your friends. I mean, they were complete strangers pretty much, really. Yeah, at one point. But then when you can choose your roommates, it's a little bit different. But I feel like with roommates, it is both fun and hard you know, these people you are living with are either strangers or friends, and both can bring their own set of unique challenges, I feel like. It is easy to talk to someone or get to know someone and then go your separate ways at the end of the conversation, but what to me is hard is when you talk to someone or get to know someone, and then you have to head home and live in the same place with them. You have to deal with toilet seats being left up, dishes not being done, carpets being unclean, or lifestyle choices that you may not agree with that may get under your skin. It's just, it's different. It's different than living with family. So things can be hard with roommates, and honestly, it must have been the same way for Rita. She was 24 years old, had lived with her family up to this point, and so, you know, moving on her own has a lot of excitement, but when you move in with strangers, I feel like there's also the hard side to it. Rita lived with two other females and shared a room with a woman by the name of Beverly. From the beginning, Rita's family was aware that Rita was not enjoying the roommate experience and felt out of place at her home. She did not spend a lot of time at the apartment and instead spent time with her friends, spent time at work, and also still spent a majority of her time with her family since she wasn't that far. Like, did you see how far it was from I didn't. It just said that it was north. So I would assume that... Within driving distance. It would be within driving distance, yeah. Yeah. So fast forward a couple weeks to the night of July 19th. Rita was at work at the hotel working her day shift. And then after her shift ended in the afternoon, she headed to an acapella group for practice. The practice ended up going late, and she made it home back to the apartment about after 10 p.m. 
By the time she got home, her roommate Beverly was also home and was still awake, and so was her other roommate and the boyfriend. Rita went straight to bed, and while she was fast asleep, the roommates and the boyfriend went out for drinks. The three went out and were gone for a couple hours, and when they came back, they continued to hang out in the living room, while, to their assumption, Rita was fastly asleep in the other room. As the night turned into the early morning, it was now after 1 a.m., and this is when Beverly headed back to her and Rita's room, because remember, they share yeah, they the bedroom, because their, their apartment was a two-bedroom apartment. It was now Beverly's turn to head to bed, and when she did, she entered the room and she came upon a horrific scene of her new roommate. When Beverly walked in, she found Rita's body face up on the ground, not in the bed, which was where she had left her when they went to go get drinks. Rita had been severely beaten, sexually assaulted, and strangled. Beverly quickly called for Carrie, who was her roommate, and Carrie's boyfriend named Paul, and the two rushed up upon the scene and contacted the hospital ER. Now, you have to remember that this is the 70s. So in order to contact the police department, you have to like dial in to the phone and then you have to ask, like you have to remember it's different. It's not that they can just call 911. Yeah, 911 wasn't like the official number. No, that only came about in the 90s, I'm pretty sure was 911. I want to say, yeah. Yeah, it was one, it was a case that caused it to be changed. So when they had to reach out, they had to call into like, a dispatcher and then you request to be forwarded to this so then they requested to be forwarded to the hospital emergency room and then they ended up dispatching police officers and other personnel to the scene everything was quickly roped off and tied down and roommates and the boyfriend were interviewed and questioned authorities on scene quickly noticed that she was face up on the ground in her room her clothes had been torn off and it was very obvious to everyone that she had been sexually assaulted There was blood found around the bedroom, on her body, and around the floor by her body. It was also very clearly seen that she was beaten severely on her face and then had some bruising down on her legs. As investigators continued to scan the scene, they found one singular cigarette butt by Rita's right arm. It was actually said that the medical examiner had moved the body or had asked to move the body to prepare and the cigarette butt was underneath her right arm. So it's possible that the perpetrator didn't even know that they had left the cigarette butt. Like, yeah, something there. So it was something a little bit sloppy. Of course, they bagged it for evidence and were hopeful that this would potentially lead them to the killer at one time or another. And I really do mean at one time or another because at that time they did not have DNA advancements at all. Yeah, no, I don't think that... At that time, it was, like, confirming blood types. Yeah, I don't think that they really had anything, like, DNA advancements until, again, the 90s. But can you imagine if they didn't bag the cigarette butt? Yeah, I mean, you gotta I mean, clearly, I mean, the case that I'm going over, it ends up being solved, but, like... Yeah, you'd have to think, like, maybe there was, like, oh, it's just... They could have just thrown it, but these police officers clearly were very thorough with their investigation. yeah. In addition to the cigarette butt that was found, they also actually found hair in Rita's hand, which could also be from the perpetrator. As mentioned earlier, police and investigators quickly began interviewing the roommates and boyfriend, and they were in a, an apartment complex, so they ended up also interviewing everyone that lived in the complex, including a couple that lived a couple floors above Rita named William and Michelle DeRuse. William had a criminal record at the time, but the couple vouched for one another and said the other was with the other all night and that they didn't hear or see anything weird in the complex. 
Rita's family had no idea who could have done this to their daughter, and even where to begin to help in identifying a killer. Thankfully, though, the police were already on top of investigating and over time had 13 primary suspects in the case. 13. That seems like a lot for it's a lot. that time frame. Yeah. However, one by one, suspects were not convicted or arrested, and the, beca- and the case became ice cold. One year turned into two years, which became decades, and the case had no progress. But if you remember, there was a valuable evidence bag that included hair and a cigarette. In 2014, the Burlington Police Department had the goal of solving the oldest cold case murder that they had on record, and that was this case. So they sent the DNA off and compared it to the 13 primary suspects, as well as submitted into the felony database at the time, and there was unfortunately no match, so it was a loss. With this loss and lack of a match, the case went cold again for five years. In 2019, a new large group of detectives started from ground zero, and they actually treated the case file like a brand new crime. They viewed it with like a new lens. Wow, that's actually, I mean, I would think that's a really good idea. And I mean, clearly, as we have now known that it's been solved, but that's a... That's a really smart idea. Yeah, so with this new group of detectives who had a different lens and view to the case, they decided to try it again with the DNA on the cigarette by sending it to Parabon, which Parabon is known for genetic genealogy tracking using the DNA profile from the cigarette butt. This test was sent in and came back with a list of two people, and they were cousins that were related back to Deirouz, so the family of Deirouz which, if you remember, was the last name of the couple that lived a couple floors above Rita, so no coincidence. With this discovery, authorities came back to Michelle Deroos, who was now the ex-wife of Mr. Deroos. She ended up admitting in an interview that she did, in fact, deceive detectives all those years ago, and she confirmed that he wasn't actually in the house or the apartment that night, even though in reality they had actually gotten into an argument And he had left the apartment. So she had told them originally he was there. They never left. Yeah, they both said that they were together all Mm -hmm, night. The whole night. And instead, she says they actually got into a fight and he left for a time. And by the time he actually got back to the apartment, she was already fast asleep. So she literally could not vouch for him during that time. Okay, yeah. And they never say anywhere in any of the sources that time frame. But clearly it was the time frame clearly where it was probably the time when the early morning hours between yeah. well between ten and midnight. Between ten and midnight, yeah. The thing is, is the two had actually just been married only two weeks before this. And so he had told her to protect him so he didn't get falsely arrested for a crime that he said he didn't commit. And I mean, after two years of marriage, you're still in the honeymoon phase and you want to support Wherever two, you can. Two years or two weeks? Two weeks. Oh, I thought, sorry, I thought you said two no, years. No, they were only married two weeks before this. And so he had convinced her to vouch for him because he didn't want to be falsely imprisoned. And she was in the honeymoon phase, and I don't think she wanted to, like, disturb the peace between her and her new well, spouse. Well, yeah, at that stage, too, like, you wouldn't, you'd pretty much do anything for yeah. your spouse. And if you remember, I said earlier, he did have a criminal record at the time, and his ex-wife now knew that and knew that false incrimination was a real thing for someone who already had a criminal record. So he already had all the odds against him, so I feel like she probably did trust him. And, but then I feel like that also is... What is the crime? It's, it's not, it's inhibiting the obstruction of justice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because she Slash, lied. I guess technically not harboring in a fugitive because she didn't know. No. But obstruction of justice. Obstruction of and, justice. Uh, I think there's technically a different word for it, but. Yeah. I didn't see anywhere that she was charged for anything, though. Now, investigators went on to find out that the DeRuzes moved shortly after the murder was committed, which honestly wasn't a coincidence either. Michelle and William, shortly after moving, ended up divorcing, and DeRuz was married once again shortly after that, but then was also divorced again. And he ended up dying 15 years after Rita's murder due to a drug overdose, and this happened in California. Luckily, though, with the genetic genealogy DNA profile linked to the DeRuz family, not necessarily William, they found a relative who agreed to provide their DNA as comparison, and with this DNA from the relative, they officially confirmed that the cigarette butt DNA was that of a DeRuz and was most likely that of William. Even though he was deceased and could not be held in court, they were able to conclude that a 50-year-old case, one of the oldest cold cases in Vermont, was solved and was committed by that of William DeRuz, and they ended up closing it with the help of DNA, DNA advancements. And that is the case of Rita Curran. Well, that is... It didn't, like, say anything on, like, how he... I guess, like, we wouldn't know because he died before yeah, he could we tell really the story. But why? And, like, a lot of the questions were, especially, I think, probably from the family, too, was she had only lived there like less than four weeks oh so she was still new to the area as well well the apartment yeah oh i guess not yeah not the area sorry the apartment yeah i mean she didn't even live there that long and so how did he know that she was home alone like that is my thing yeah for real like that's a huge risk to take that is a huge risk to take like how did he but know like, then how didn't or my question is is See, was he stalking? Because he would have had to see her come home, then see the three friends leave. But how did he, I guess we would, again, how? We don't know. Well, we wouldn't know, but apparently she might have just let him in because there was no sign. No, I of... mean, I'm assuming it's the 70s. They probably kept the door unlocked. I mean, people yeah, had a lot of trust back then, but we don't know. And I think that's the hard thing is like, we know who did it, but we just don't have a motive. We don't have you know, the reason we don't have more detail. And, you know, she was really beaten and attacked and taken advantage of. I mean, it's a really sad situation that at your most vulnerable state when you're sleeping, she, she was taken no, advantage like, of. Well, she had no chance. It's horrible. It's really sad. And she was a very small in stature female. I think she was around 100 pounds as well. And so it's just a really sad situation where he, I mean, did he really just get lucky and go into an apartment that only had one person in it? I, I, it had to have been planned in my mind. Yeah. There's no way he just randomly goes into an apartment, she's asleep, no one else is home. Yeah. But only in a matter of a couple of weeks was he With, able to plan and, it. Well, I guess you also said it most likely had the door locked, but if that wasn't, there was no signs of forced entry yeah. from what it sounded like. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We look forward to you being back here where Anton will be reviewing a crime from the state of Virginia. Until then, this is your Couple of Criminals. Signing off.